Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Thanksgiving isn't one day out of the year. It's a lifestyle. It's an attitude that we should all have and particularly the greatest gift of all. And that was God becoming one of us in a manger. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. I'm Jen Houston, and I hope you're having a very blessed Thanksgiving celebration. A recurring theme on our last couple of programs has been creating a list of all the things we're grateful for. With this in mind, today David shares the first part of his message, thankful for a good God. We have a lot for which to be thankful, and we need to take opportunities to thank God for all that we have. What I've been trying to do over the last several weeks to try to connect Thanksgiving with Christmas. I've tried to help you understand that Thanksgiving isn't one day out of the year. It's a lifestyle. It's an attitude that we should all have, and particularly the greatest gift of all, and that was God becoming one of us in a manger and dying on a cross to forgive us of our sins and being raised from the dead to assure us of eternal life. Isn't that the greatest Christmas gift ever? Would you thank God for that gift today? What I want to do today is to complete this series, really, and talk about why we should give thanks to God because he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. The Bible consistently says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Read this with me. For the Lord is, he's good. His steadfast love, how long? Forever forever and his faithfulness to all generations. That's you and me, folks, to all generations. That's you and me. From Psalm 34, 8, read it with me, please. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is, he's good. Psalm 107, verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is, he's good. For his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. Mm, such great news. So when you read in the scripture that a major characteristic of God is his goodness, what does it mean for him to be good? Does it mean God's a nice guy? Well, it certainly is a nice guy, but it means much more than that. The biblical word good means everything that is morally excellent, exceedingly beautiful, and extravagantly bountiful. Let me read it again. The biblical definition of good is everything that is morally excellent, exceedingly beautiful and extravagantly bountiful. That means that God is morally excellent, exceedingly beautiful and extravagantly bountiful. He is good and his mercies endure how much? Forever to all generations. I want to begin by talking to you about evidences of God's goodness in the Bible. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth. And for those of you who are biblically literate, you know that after each day, God took a step back and looked at his created order, and he described it as what? As good. And that word in the Hebrew means very good, exclamation mark, all the definition that I just read to you. It's a good creation. Everything operated the way God wanted it to operate. In creating Adam and Eve, their relationship with him was perfect. In Adam and Eve's relationship, they were relationally compatible, no problems whatsoever. In the creation design, there were no tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, any disasters destroying 
God's created order. And within people themselves, they were at peace because they had faith in God. No fear, anxiety, depression, despair to be seen. So God looked at everything and he described it as good. We have echoes and hints of that goodness surrounding us every day that we should live. And they should give us reasons for thanksgiving. Think about them. When we awaken in the morning, do we give thanks to God? For the next breath that we breathe, the next beat of our hearts, the next ingestion of air in our lungs, we should give thanks to God. Looking across the room, seeing our spouse, the person we love the most in the world, we should give thanks. For friendships, relationships, we should give thanks. For the ability to have hot water come out of our showers. How many of you give thanks for that? You should, because if you do, folks, for those of us who've traveled internationally and seen poverty, you're among the 7% of the richest people in the world if you have hot water come out of your shower. How about turning on the faucet and being able to drink the water? Most people in the world don't have that privilege. If you travel to any place in the world, most often they say, you must drink the water out of a bottle. Don't drink it out of a faucet. We here in the States can mostly, except in Flint, Michigan, okay? <laughs> we can mostly, so we need to give thanks to God for that gift. How about the food we eat? Have you ever thought about the food that we eat? How we should be so exceedingly thankful. How about shoes on our feet? Every time you put your shoes on, are you aware that if you have shoes, you're among the 7% of the richest people in the world? Most diseases are passed on among children throughout the world through their feet because they're barefoot. Shoes protect kids from disease. Have you ever given thanks for putting on your shoes? And of course, driving a car. If you have a car, much less if you have one or two or three, you are among the 5% of the richest people in the world. Have you given thanks for being able to have a car and simply drive around? You know, the echoes and hints of God's goodness are all around us. Now, I know the answer. For those of you who are spiritual skeptics, you say immediately to me, wait a minute. If creation is so good, birthed out of the goodness of a good God's heart, why, David? For example, are there relational rifts in the world? Wars and rumors of wars. All kinds of hideous ways of people hurting one another. Why, David, does creation not work right? Why are there tornadoes and earthquakes and other disasters that destroy people and property? Why is it that a lot of people in their lives don't feel peace, they feel fear and worry and depression? Why? And why is it that people don't have a right relationship with God? Now, I want to present to you three different answers to that question regarding the problem of evil. And they're basically the answers that are dominant in our society today. The first one's what I'll call a scientist's worldview. It's basically the belief that if God is good and can do something about evil but doesn't do anything about evil, he's impotent and uncaring. So therefore, God must not exist. It's an atheistic, agnostic worldview. It concludes that we are all here 
not the result of a personal God. There's no God. We're the result of an evolutionary process. We're evolving out of primordial sludge to where we are today. The fact that there's goodness in the world is only because people have learned how to be good to protect themselves in the survival of the fittest. And there's a good portion that's ever growing in our world that believes that. There, there's no God. The second view is what I'll call a New Age view or a Near Eastern view, which says basically that evil is an illusion. Pain and suffering doesn't really exist. It's a figment of our imagination. Therefore, our calling in life is to enter into a reincarnation cycle that allows us to advance by being better and better till ultimately we're like a drop in a dropper that is dropped into the huge ocean of life and we become one with all of life and enter into nirvana or nothingness. God's certainly not personal. And indeed, in that particular theological framework, there are a multitude of deities, oftentimes in conflict with one another. But again, evil's an illusion is the answer. Amidst those two particular worldviews is another one. And I would invite you to examine which one you really believe because you believe one of them. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody believes something. They interpret life through some filter. For me, I have reached the conclusion of a biblical Christian worldview, not only because it's clearly taught in the scripture, which I love and adore, but I think it's the one that best offers answers to life's most difficult questions. When you are confronted with the question of evil, the answer biblically is God did create the world in Genesis 1 and 2 and declared it all good, very good, exclamation mark, operating as he desired. But in Genesis 3, he told Adam and Eve, you may eat of any tree of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For at that point, when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you become God. You're declaring treachery against the most high God. You are declaring to be a rebel against God's authority. You're basically saying, I'm God. And God said to Adam and Eve, if you do that, you'll die. Spiritually, you'll be disconnected from me, but also you'll physically die. Death is an evil intrusion into God's once perfect created order. It was never intended in the beginning. So Adam and Eve were tempted by a malevolent personal force called the evil one, and he caused them to fall. The evil one's the author of all evil, not God. And because of Adam and Eve's rebellion, disorder and disharmony came into the world. Now within people, there is fear instead of faith. Now there's relational ruptures everywhere throughout the world, wars and rumors of wars. Now there is created disorder, not natural disasters, unnatural disasters that cause the, the loss of lives of people and property. And, and of course, everything is not working as God created it to be. Now, interestingly, that sin problem, that rebellion problem, that treachery problem has been passed on from generation through generation, all of Adam and Eve's progeny, including you and me. Now, some of you go, oh, my sweet little baby girl, my sweet little baby boy, he can't possibly be a bundle of original sin. Let me ask you a question. Did you have to teach your children to rebel? Did you have to teach your children to be disobedient? Did you have to teach your children to say no? Of course not. It's natural within their nature. It's natural within 
yours and my nature. And we continue to shake our puny fists at Almighty God and say, I want it my way. And we continue to have this evil in our world today. Now what the Christian Bible teaches is that God created this world good, perfect. And then when the fall occurred, he's in a dilemma. On the one hand, he's holy and good. This created order is not. And he can't have a relationship personally because our God's a personal God. With Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden daily with him. He wants to be in personal relationship with us. And here's his dilemma. Do you know why you were created? Christians believe in one God and three persons. Our Muslim friends accuse us of believing in three gods. Nothing could be further from the truth. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God and three persons. How do we explain that? We don't try. Any more than with my kids when they were three years old and they would object to something and they would always say that famous word kids love to speak, which is, why? And then it's usually accompanied with, that's not fair. Anyway, let me ask you, when your children do that, as an adult, do you get down to their level to try to explain all the complexities of why? Do you? Of course not. You can't. There's no way a three-year-old could possibly understand the depths of what you know as an adult. Well, that's an example of what it's like for the infinite God of the universe to explain to us his nature. One God in three persons. All we know biblically, that's what's clearly taught. And in that relationship among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was perfect love. There was perfect love. Love can only exist if there's a direct object of the love, right? Love can only exist if there's someone to love. And, and that's the problem, of course, with the Islamic God, is he's a God of justice, but love is far from their understanding of God because he doesn't have anyone he can initially love. Well, initially, in the Christian God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all loved one another perfectly. The Father loved the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. It's a perfect triangle of love. And so here's why you and I were created. When God created Adam and Eve and all of us, he wanted us to enter into a personal love relationship with him because he's a personal God. He wants intimacy. Some of you come from Catholic backgrounds or rigid denominational backgrounds where you were taught if you just did A, B, and C, then God would love you. Nothing could be further from the truth from the Christian gospel. God doesn't love you for what you do. He just loves you because he created you to be a love machine. And he wanted to pour his love into you so you could love him in return and love your neighbor. That's it. Jesus said the entire Bible, the entire wall can be encapsulated in one sentence, love God and love your neighbor. That's, that's what he intended to happen. And so he created you and me to love and, and we've rebelled against that love. So on the one hand, he's holy and good and can't have a relationship with us because of our depravity. But on the other hand, he still loves us dearly and deeply. So what does he do? How does God overcome that dilemma? And the answer is, this biblical doctrine called the incarnation. God becomes one of us. The father said to the son at some point in human history, knowing our decadence, depravity, and ultimate death, because he couldn't have a relationship with us. And if we died, we're separated from him forever in our sin. So because of his love, he says to his son, at some point in the expanses of eternity, would you go? Would you go? And the son, although equal with the father in deity and power, purposefully chose to submit himself to the father, take on human flesh, and be birthed in a stable in Bethlehem. 
He could have been birthed in a palace in Jerusalem or Rome, but he chose to be birthed among the poorest of the poor in humility. God in human flesh, the incarnation. I love Mexican food. Anybody love Mexican food? Man, I like Mexican food. Ever had chili con carne? You know what that is? Chili with flesh. Carne. Chili con carne. Do you know what the incarnation is? This great biblical doctrine we're celebrating here on Christmas Eve? God con carne. Really? God con carne. God with flesh. The incarnation. God so loves the world that he becomes one of us. To communicate in ways and styles and forms and words that we can understand. It's just amazing when you think about it. Now, you need to know three great truths of the incarnation. The three great truths of Christmas Eve. Here's the first one. Pursuit. Pursuit. Most people know that true love demands pursuit. I've told my sons that whenever they meet that right person, they need to pursue her. Because every woman, I believe, call me an indefatigable romantic. But I believe every woman wants to be pursued by a godly man. And the message of the gospel is God pursued us. He took the initiative. He put on human flesh long before we ever cried out to him. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen. And that kind of grew into the Dream Center and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up all the meals were shipped to the dream center with the kitchen you helped us do so we're so grateful you guys god bless you god bless moments of hope and we just 
pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, to you as well, Jen. I hope it's a wonderful family day for you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Well, thanks so much for being with us on this special day. And I'm just curious, do you have any insights on Thanksgiving? And and what are your thoughts about this day? Well, it's historically embedded in our nation's history deeply. Uh, Goes back to Abraham Lincoln in 1863 who amidst the Civil War and all of the bloodshed of the hundreds of thousands of lives lost then felt like that America needed a day of thanksgiving. So he initiated it, inaugurated it. It was passed by Congress and has been with us ever since. And it was Lincoln's way of acknowledging though the nation was problematically involved with slavery, for example, and had so many issues going on, he recognized the bounty and blessings upon this nation and felt like one of the healing forces that could bring the nation together was a common idea of thanksgiving. So that's historically where it's come from. It has morphed into a day of food and family and football a lot. (laughs) Uh, I'm hoping we can include another F with that as faith. (laughs) Uh, I think that would be important for people to remember today as well. Uh, But it's been around a long time. And you know, Jen, I personally find this day meaningful because Marilyn and I, my wife, have traveled all around the world. We've been to Central Africa, South America, the Caribbean, Nepal, India, etc. And no matter where we go, we always return. And our first thought is, thank you, Lord, that we are citizens of this great nation. Mm. That even though we do have problems, Mm -hmm. still with some forms of racism, some forms of division that continue to cause us harm, we still are the greatest nation on the face of this earth. Our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, and especially the guaranteeing of the freedoms Mm -hmm. that we have as individual citizens is like no other nation on the face of this earth, Mm -hmm. and we need to give thanks, especially today, in my humble opinion, Mm -hmm. that we are Americans, that we live in this great nation, and we have the freedoms that have been given to us. I totally concur. I completely agree. And several weeks ago when Afghanistan was in the headlines, and I think I've shared this with our listeners before, I was just crying, physically just crying out to God in a a state of prayer on my couch. And I was like, what can I do? What can I do In, in Charlotte, North Carolina, little me? And I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered, be grateful for the freedoms you have. And it really was a transformative word for me to really take account of of all the freedoms that I have right now and to be grateful. Yeah, Jenna, you've traveled uh, to Lebanon, for example, Mm -hmm. some years ago, and my wife and I have too on several occasions. And Lebanon right now, for example, Beirut, the capital city, has been called the jewel of the Mediterranean, the Paris Mm -hmm. of the Mediterranean. And, you know, it is a gorgeous city, but its infrastructure right now is horrific. Mm -hmm. And there are all kinds of problems that they are experiencing there. You go to that place, you're thankful for having seen it. You come back, you kiss the American Mm -hmm. soil because as, again, fractured as we are, it's still the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Something, especially today, we should be thankful for. Well, thank you so much for these. I'm grateful for 
this great work we get to do together. Grateful for our listeners and just hoping that everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you, Jen. And to all of our listeners today, be thankful for this great nation, but mostly be thankful to God for all of the blessings he has given us. To everyone out there, happy Thanksgiving. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moment of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston wishing you a very blessed Thanksgiving day.